0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. Our hope is that this sermon will instill you with a profound sense of God's love and that you might receive and reflect his glory to your community. From Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm going to be uh, up front with you this morning. This is about the least seeker-friendly sermon subject I could find in our lectionary. Uh, we're going to be talking about suffering. So uh, if you brought somebody new today, just go ahead and apologize now, but this is an important subject for us to cover. And I realize that it takes a real eor of a personality To talk about suffering the week after a vacation, but I'm gonna do my best. After all, if you've taken a two year old to a theme park for a day, you know that there can be suffering on vacation as well. Um, The reason that we're really talking about suffering this morning is because suffering is often trouted out as this uh, way to accuse God, a way to try to invalidate our faith. After all, you know, why, why are you suffering? Why are things going poorly if God is God? But the truth is, the Bible never denies the reality of suffering. In fact, the gospel presumes it. After all, how can you have good news if there's not bad news as well? So, on to our points for this morning, we've got a three-pointer. The first is that suffering does not invalidate the message of the gospel. Second point, suffering does not invalidate the power of the gospel, and suffering is an opportunity to glorify God. So we're going to dive back into our text this morning. Verse 5 of 2 Corinthians, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for His sake. Just a little background to the text, Paul has a really rocky relationship with this church at Corinth. Uh, Paul has a really rocky relationship with them, and if you spend some, some time in 1st or 2nd Corinthians, you'll find that the church at Corinth had gone just a little bit sideways in some of their um, beliefs and practices. After all, uh, you find that they were actually celebrating the relationship that a man had with his stepmother, um, and, and they were talking about it in Joyful, and so Paul had a, had a lot to work with, with the Corinthians, in, in trying to offer them some constructive criticism and, and guide them back onto the path of Christ. And so he was pretty free with the way that he was uh, addressing their issues. And so, like many of us do when we're confronted with our failings, with our, with our struggles, the church decided to attack Paul's character rather than to face their, their criticism. And if you've been in a relationship with any human being on the planet, you know what I'm talking about. It's the, uh, hey, you did this thing and I'm upset with you about it. Oh, you're upset with me? how terrible are you? You're the worst human being that's ever lived in the history of the earth. You're worse than any animate or inanimate… I mean, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, honey, I was saying, I, you know, I wanted you to take out the trash. Where do, how do we get offline here? Um, what the church is doing is rather than address their issues, they're attacking the character of Paul, and that's, that's, you know, pretty decent deflection. And so they attack his character in kind of three ways. One, they accuse him of being greedy even though he really didn't own much more than his traveling cloak. um, They questioned his personal courage. But what's important for us this morning is that they questioned whether or not he was a valid apostle, catch this, because of his suffering. They questioned whether or not he was loved by God and sharing God's message because he suffered so much. Or to put it in another way, if God really loves and cares about you, why are all these bad things happening to you? Does that sound familiar? I'm sure that you've asked yourself that on at least one occasion. God, I, I go to church. Maybe I give. I pray. Why are these things happening to me? Well, that was their accusation against Paul. Paul, if you're, if you're an apostle, why, why do you seem to have a terrible and difficult life? And he really did, which we're going to get into in a few moments. And I'm not really sure, I'm not really sure where this assumption started that if you're a Christian, your life should be easy. That if you're a Christian, your life should be free of suffering. That if you're a Christian, your life should be secure and comfortable. I I was trying all week to kind of trace where was the advent of this thought, and it's difficult to pin it down. I think it was really popularized in our age of television where all of a sudden you had these televangelists going up there and saying, you know, if you give me $5, I will pray for you and your life will be better. You know, uh, contribute to me and I will give you a campaign kit for prosperity, you all are familiar with this? You remember some of this, especially from maybe the 50s and 60s, this, you know, give us money and we'll give you a good life? Maybe that's where it came from. Or, and I'm, I'm prepared for a nasty email about this one, so bring it on, um, I suppose one of the things that we could even blame is our beloved Declaration of Independence, right? Life, liberty, and the what? Pursuit of happiness. And those are not bad things, those are good things. But the pursuit of happiness is not a really rock-solid foundation on which to base your life. It's really not. And here's why. There's no guarantee that a secure and comfortable life is a meaningful life. There's no secure that a happy life is a meaningful life. Um, I'm sure that I could be quite content in my mother's basement eating Cheetos and playing video games, right? Would that be a meaningful life, do you think? Happiness and a meaningful life are not the same thing. And God never promised us a life of uninterrupted happiness. Instead, he offered us a life of meaning and purpose, and that's really important for us this morning. Let's look back at our text. Paul's about to give us some of the trials that he went through, and he says in verse 8, "'We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus.' so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Paul is not exaggerating about his trials and hardship. Has anyone ever seen a dramatization of the crucifixion? Maybe you saw a movie about the passion of the Christ, or uh, maybe you've seen a play or, or some sort of representation of what Jesus went through before the cross. Some of you are familiar with that. Um, I know we're past Easter, but it was still in recent memory, so, so stick with me. Um, one of the things that Jesus had to go through was, was that beating, that lashing. And as a part of that lashing, they called it the, um, I think it was the 49 strokes minus one. This was the idea that they would beat you 39 times with this whip with shrapnel in it, and if, because if they were to beat you 40, you would die. So they were trying to bring you to the edge of death. You all familiar with this? Well, Paul experienced that five times in the course of his ministry, five times. Paul was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned and left for dead. Paul was even shipwrecked three times. And on one of his shipwrecks, and again, this wasn't a shipwreck like today. You know, everybody jumps in the lifeboat. You had to cling on to whatever driftwood was floating by and swim to an island, right? Like this was, this was difficult stuff. Well, on one of his shipwrecks, he's shipwrecked. He's in the open sea. He makes his way to an island. He builds a fire, and then he gets bit by a poisonous snake. I mean, at what point do you say, God, come on, I'm doing your work? right? Like, like, I'm doing this for you. Can you just make this a little bit easier? But that's not what Paul says. In the face of overwhelming difficulty and trial, that's not what Paul says. And I think that Paul's response has nothing to do with that for several reasons. One, he knew that we have an enemy that is not flesh and blood, and he knew that our enemy will stop at nothing to silence the spread of the gospel. I mean, look at Paul's life. No one is that unlucky, right? Three shipwrecks, no one's that unlucky. Paul also knew that the salvation of souls trumps safety and security every time. Every time. And he also knew and trusted in the power of God to overcome. And this brings us to our second point. Suffering does not invalidate the power of God. Look back with me at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Our strength is, is found in Him and not in ourselves. There was an ancient Greek tradition, and uh, it was in two schools of thought. It was in both the Cynics and the Stoics. And what they would do is they would give these magnificent presentations and speeches, and they would give this whole list of trials and sufferings, and then they would say, but because of what I believe, I have overcome them. Because of, what I, you know, because of who I am and my beliefs, I am stronger than everything that has uh, you know, come, come to me. In fact, one of them, Epictetus, wrote this, and these were, these were his words. This was kind of his speech of bolstering himself and showing how his power to overcome. He said, show me a man who, is, who though sick is happy, though in danger is happy, though dying is happy, and I will show you a stoic. Right. This was this, I can triumph over every adversity no matter how bad it is. Well, they prided themselves on being indifferent, and catch this, indifferent to physical pain and mental suffering. So, so when bad things happened, they took on this apathetic stance. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't faze me. And they were self-numbing. This is something, in fact, that elementary school kids still do. Uh, have you ever, do you, you ever remember the game Bloody Knuckles? Does anybody remember that game? Um, it was, you know, you're eight years old, so you're, so you're real bright at this time. No offense anyone. But um, you, uh, and I, I did this. So what you would do is to prove your machismo, to prove, you know, what a strong guy you were, is you'd square off against another guy, and you would just punch each other fist to fist as hard as you could to see who was, you know, who was tough, right? So, so we would do that to show how strong you were and say, it doesn't hurt. Or there was another game we played. Um, really trying to impress the ladies with this one. It was called an Indian rug burn. I'm not sure if I can still say that, but I'm going to. Uh, you, do you know this game? This is, uh, this is when you square off against a, another, another kid and you look them straight in the eye and you grab their arm and you just start rubbing their skin back and forth just to hurt them. And, uh, you know, and whoever blinks first loses or if you cry, you lose. Well, this was this idea. It's the, it's the exact same idea, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's mind over matter. It's, it's, but it's also juvenile, right? Silly. It's self-deception and it's self-harming and it's a real pale comparison to the real power of God. It's self-deception because the pain is real whether we acknowledge it or not. You can bury your grief as deep as, as it will go, but it will come up. Um, or if I put my hand over an open flame to show how tough I am, my hand's still going to burn. Right? Like I mean that that flesh is cooking, right? Like that's that's what's happening. You can pretend it doesn't exist, but it doesn't solve your problem. And it's self-harming because, and this is important, you cannot selectively numb your emotions. If you try to push down all the things you don't want to feel, like grief or anxiety or loneliness or fear, you're also going to end up numbing all of the things that you want to feel, like joy and excitement and happiness. You can't choose one or the other. If you try to numb your emotions, you're numbing all of them. And it's not a place you want to be. You see, Paul is not a shining beacon of of overcoming adversity because of his own power and strength. Nor is he a hero because of the strength of his convictions or beliefs. There's this Disney-like belief right now that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it with all your heart. You You hear that before? Your faith doesn't matter as long as you really believe it. It does matter. Especially when, on, when you're on your third shipwreck, scrambling towards, an, you know, scrambling towards an island, and God's work is not done in you yet, right? Like, that, that matters whether or not God has the power to save you. You've got to get beyond resting in just your own belief or in your own strength. See, what Paul says is, it's not the power in me, it's the power of God, and I am nothing but a jar of clay and that the power of God alone can sustain me, which brings us to our third and final point for this morning. Suffering is an opportunity to glorify God. And that's a real difficult to think, thing to hear when you're in the midst of suffering. It really is. But the truth of the matter is suffering is an opportunity for us to glorify God. That's exactly what Paul was doing. Let's look, take a final look at our text. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Uh, A former pastor of mine, uh, Orlando Rivera, was killed on Monday morning. Um, He was was driving down I-4, heading eastbound, and a car… Uh, got on to I-4 heading the wrong direction. And uh, it killed him instantly in a head-on collision. Uh, uh, Orlando Rivera was uh, 52 at the time. He had three biological children and seven adopted children. And he was uh, a monster of a man in ministry. I mean, you want to talk about a godly man. And the news that broke wasn't primarily about his tragic death. It was about the actions of his wife, Nancy. You see, Nancy was and is a believer in Christ. And so what Nancy did is she went to the hospital where the driver of the other car was in serious condition. And in her grief and sorrow and sadness and I'm sure anger, she prayed over that person. And she prayed with that person. And that became the story this week. And when the reporter's... Um, asked about it because they were obviously baffled. Why in the world would you do this? She said his life was all about glorifying God and this is exactly what he would want me to do. Suffering doesn't stop us from glorifying God. Suffering doesn't stop us from lifting up his name and praising him. You see, God didn't promise us an easy life, but he has presented to us a meaningful life. God didn't promise us that we would get out of this life alive but he did promise us eternal life with him, and that's important. As Jesus himself told us in John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would help us to center our hearts and minds in your power and your strength, I pray that we would look to the indwelling of your Son, Jesus Christ, for all that we are and that everything we do in this life might bring glory to your name. We thank you that, God, though we are persecuted, you do not abandon us and that you have given us the highest of callings to love and serve you and have your name be known. In your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.